Good morning, Digital Cathedral family. Glad you're with me on this Sunday morning. I hope you're strapped in, ready to go. I'm really excited about the word that I want to deliver to you this morning. We're really in the second part of a little series we're calling Eradicating Death. We're taking, we're taking a view on some things that have not been taught in the church much at all. I've never heard any teaching about this until recently. It's beginning to kind of come to the surface. So I want to talk to you this morning about receiving your wage, receiving the just wage that you have had imputed to your life. I want to take a look at Romans chapter 6, verse 23. <clears throat> and we're going, to, we're going to look at this verse, and I want to emphasize the last half of it. Romans chapter 6, let me just give you a little caveat up front. The first five minutes, maybe eight, nine minutes, I might be just a little, a little fuzzy on some things, not in what I'm presenting, but in what you may be hearing. So I want to encourage you to not click off if it seems a little bit fuzzy or cloudy to you and you're not quite catching the gist of where we're going. But I guarantee you that if you stay with me, it's going to, it's going to crystallize and you're going to see some things this morning that I think are going to add to the measure of stature of the fullness of Christ that you are moving toward. And this issue of death is a big thing right now. And I think the Spirit of God is teaching us some things about life and death. Let's go to Romans chapter 6, verse 23. Like I say, stay with me this morning all the way to the end. And I, I will assure you that we're going to pick up some truth that's going to, that's going to um, build you. It's not going to take anything away from you. It's going to build you. That's what we do at the Digital Cathedral. We build, we don't subtract. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 very familiar verse. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me say, let me read that again. Just get this down. I know you've heard it many times. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Let me just say a couple things. I'm going to take the last half of that verse. Um, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Let me just say a couple things about the first part of the verse, and I'm going to really weigh in on the last part. Wages of sin is death. When, when I heard that and taught it for years, I would look at the death that was being um, emphasized in that verse, wages of sin is death. I looked at that as spiritual death. Never bothered to look it out, never bothered to study it. It's just what we all kind of assume. The wages of sin is spiritual death. You sin, you're going to hell. <laughs> you sin, you're totally separated from God, and it's going to be a spiritual death. I did a little, I've done some research on that word death. It's actually number 2288 in Strong's Concordance, and it makes the reference really to physical death. So the wages of sin is physical death. We know that when Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden, that God said, in the day you eat it, you'll die. Now they didn't die that day, they didn't die next year. It took a long time for the effects of sin to pay its wage, but it eventually did in a physical death. Always the consequence of sin is physical death. Now let me say this about sin. Sin is not, an action that you do, like drinking, smoking, uh, going to the movies, whatever your church has labeled out, all these sins, made laws against them, said you you do this, you, you know, it's doubtful that you're even saved. Not, none of those things are sins. What What is sin is harmatia, missing the mark. 
What is the mark? What Sin is actually an archery term. When you shoot a bow and arrow at one of those circular targets, you know, you got outside circle, and then one is inside, and then you have a bullseye. When an archer shoots an arrow and misses the bullseye, it's called a sin. What is the bullseye? The bullseye has always been eating from the tree of life. The sin has been moving from the tree of life and coming to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Whenever we eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which has been the tree that man, the only tree that man really seriously has eaten from for hundreds of years, has been the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everything in our world is set up on what we determine to be good, what we determine to be evil, right and wrong. And God said, that's the wrong tree. The tree of life is simply a tree where God speaks and we respond. God speaks and we, we agree and we move in accordance with what he says. So mankind has moved off from that and we have suffered the consequence of it. So when he says the wages of sin is death, he's talking about the wage of eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and it will produce physical death. It, that missing the mark pays a wage. There's a check you get from it, and the check is written, this is death. When you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you miss the target, you miss the bullseye, and the consequence of physical death. So, let's flip this over now. If the wages of sin is death, let's look at the other side of the coin. The opposite of, of um, death is life. The opposite of sin is righteousness. Opposite of death is life. The opposite of sin is righteousness. If, way, if sin pays a wage of death, can righteousness pay a wage of, of life? Can it be just the opposite? Right? If, it, if a form of work produces death, which is sin is an action, can a form of work of righteousness pay life? Now, I said, I, I don't make me say something I'm not saying here. I'm just asking a question. If you perform a work, if you sin, eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it produces death. Now, if, on the other hand, if we flip the coin, can is there something you do that will produce eternal life? I, I think righteousness has its benefits. Even when it comes to the law, we tend to think of righteousness as uh, adhering to the law, keeping the rules, regula regulations. And I think there's a benefit to that. Honestly, when you look at the law, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal. When you look at the Ten Commandments and you keep the Ten Commandments, there's obviously an advantage to that. I would much rather face the consequences of not murdering than murdering somebody. If you, if you don't murder, there is a wage that is paid and as you, you can be a free citizen. I saw something the other day I thought was pretty funny. A guy said, uh, if you played Monopoly, if you played Monopoly and all you ever did was collect your $200, you never bought any properties, never made any investment in what could produce income for you, and, but all you did was take your $200 and give it to those that had built hotels and motels on their property and tried to stay out of jail, he said that's pretty much what characterized people's life today. They, they're not really functioning, even in a natural life today. They're just existing, giving their money to the rich, and trying to make sure they stay out of jail. 
is there, is there a consequence to righteousness? Absolutely. Even keeping the law, thou shalt not murder. You're not going to jail. Thou shalt not lie. You're, gonna, you're not going to have to uh, face the consequences is when the lies catch up to you. So just looking at it from a natural standpoint, there is a wage that righteousness pays. It, it does have its benefits. I don't think we've really gotten a handle on what the benefits actually are. We know that the wages of sin is death. You can see that raging all around you. People, you know, you can you can do things that are going to totally dest destroy your body. You can make bad decisions. And the longer you eat from the tree of life, the deeper the death goes. So can righteousness produce Zoe, the life of God? Wages of sin is death, but, but, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Now, this thing of righteousness and its ability to impart life must really be important because Jesus made a trade with us. Let me read, let me read to you. The, I call this the great exchange. I'm not the only one that has called it that, but I call it a, a great exchange. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. Now, righteousness will lead to life. I'm going to show you some scriptures on that. Righteousness can lead to life. The question is, can you do enough to be able to receive the wage of self-righteousness that will impart to you eternal life? Watch what he says here. Must be This righteous thing must be important as it pertains to life because it says that he made Jesus who knew no sin knew no death. He had no wage of, of, uh, of sin coming to him. He did not sin. He made him to be sin, to be made death, to pick up our wage, our check, for us, that we might become the righteousness or the life of God in Christ. That's a, that's a great verse that I think really, really brings out the distinction between the wage of sin and the wage of death and how we collect on either one of them. Now I'm going to get into that in more detail in just a minute, but I want you to see this word righteousness as it pertains to life must be important because Jesus made an exchange. He took all of our sin and gave us his righteousness. Now in taking our sin, he also collected the wage for sin. He died for us. If one died for all, then all died. All die in Adam, all made alive in Christ. So when he took our our sin, he took our death sentence and in turn gave us his righteousness. Now, if he took our sin and death sentence, then the righteousness that he gave to us must be a life producer. Think about that. He took all of our sin, which is death, and then he direct deposited. I love that term direct deposited when we talk about spiritual things. He direct deposited righteousness into our life. Now, it turns out that righteousness does pay a wage. Now stay with me. It does turn out that righteousness pays a wage. When you look at scripture, when you look at scripture, you discover that there are references to righteousness that often point us to life, even in the Old Testament. And that's one of the things that we picked up under the law is that we tried to become righteous by keeping the law. We, we knew that there was, if we would strive to become perfect, right? Be perfect as I'm perfect, God says. Good luck on that one. You can't do that. Or you can strive and try it. But righteousness, there are several references in the, in the uh, Old Testament. I'm just going to look at the book of Proverbs. I'm going to give you four out of the book of Proverbs that tells us 
the correlation of righteousness and life. When you see the word righteousness in scripture, if you would just substitute life in there, I think you'd have a, a pretty accurate translation. Righteousness is uh, the antithesis of sin. Righteousness is the antithesis of death, right? When, when let, Let's stay with sin. It's the antithesis of sin. Opposite of sin is righteousness. Opposite of death is life. So if, if sin pays a wage of death, then righteousness must pay a wage of life. Now the question is, how do you get enough righteousness to collect the wage of eternal life? Righteousness points to life. I want to really drive that home today uh, because if you see the exchange that Jesus made, took our sin, gave us his righteousness, and he imputed it to us, direct deposited, gave it to us free of charge, then you're going to be under, begin to understand that the life that functions in you has no relationship to sin. The sin, the, sin, the death is gone. The wage of sin is gone. Well, look what it says. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 2. Treasures of wickedness profit nothing, but righteousness, listen, righteousness delivers from death. Let, let me read on. Just I'm going to give you a couple more out of Proverbs. Next proverb, chapter 11 and verse 4. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. So we've got right there in two, in two chapters, we've got the direct correlation relationship of righteousness to life and righteousness delivering us from death. All right, let's, let's go on. Uh, next chapter, Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 28. In the way of righteousness is life. And in the pathway and in the pathway, it's pathway, I'm sorry. Let me start the verse again. In the way of righteousness is life, and in its pathway there is no death. Proverbs chapter 21. Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 21. He who follows righteousness and mercy finds life, righteousness, and honor. So when you follow righteousness, what you find at the end is that you find life. So it does pay a wage. The wage of righteousness is absolutely life. Now, just think about this for just a second. If righteousness delivers us from death, and in the path of righteousness, we just read it, if in the path of right, there is no death, that means in the path of righteousness, there's immortality. There's immortality. Now, I hope we can un unlock just a couple little steps of this. Even in the Old Testament, righteousness paid a wage. There was a consequence to righteousness, and that was life. The opposite of sin and death, right? Now, it's important to understand. It's important to really let that settle into our understanding that righteousness produces life. That relationship of us to righteousness is a key I think it's an absolute key to understand what Jesus accomplished on the cross to bring eternal life into the now. He brought eternal life into the now by making us righteous. He took our sin, 2 Corinthians 5.21, he took our sin and the consequence, the wage, and in its place he gave us his righteousness. He just said, give me that and I'll give you this. 
and he, he imputed it. He gave it to us, direct deposit, put it into our life so that all, all, all we could ever say about it was, thank you very much. <laughs> and nothing I can do to really earn it. So um, let's go back to that 23rd verse of Romans 6 for just a minute. I want you to look again at the correlation of the issue of sin and death. When someone works, they get paid a wage. Are you with me? You sin, that wage pays you, uh, that, that work of sin pays you a wage, and it's death. Paul put it like this. Romans chapter 4. I'm trying to drive this home, and if I repeat myself several times today, it's because I'm doing it on purpose. I don't think most of us have correlated righteousness with eternal life. We've, we've, we've tap, tried to tap into eternal life with a lot of different things, but when you become righteous, there's no more sin or death within you. So if, if death is working in us, then it's stealing from us what belongs to us. It is a thief. It is a robber. And a thief and a robber comes to steal, kill, and to destroy, right? Jesus came that you might have life. It's the antithesis. How did he give us a life? He imputed righteousness to us, made us as though we had never sinned, justified us. Romans chapter 4, let me read the first four verses. Here's what Paul says about it. What shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something of which to boast, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Verse 4. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but debt. So if you're trying to work for righteousness, that's not grace. That's a debt that you that you have tried to um, fill by your actions. Verse five, but to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. But to him who does not work, where well, there is a key right there, because we try to work for righteousness. And it, you cannot work for it. It's, it, it is, it's flat out a gift, y'all. And that flat out gift of righteousness is life itself. The opposite of sin. Let me read it again. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly. Boy, you don't hear any teaching on the justification of the ungodly, do you? I don't, I don't think I've ever heard a teaching on that. <clears throat> I might have to do one on that. That the ungodly are justified. How, do, how are the ungodly justified? They are imputed with righteousness. His faith is counted for righteousness. All right. So if you if you work to earn righteousness, if you which in effect you're saying I'm working to get eternal life, that's what you're really saying. If if I'm out there, you know, busting my behind trying to keep all the rules, the laws, regulations, so that God will be pleased with me and give grace to me, and that I can stand before Him one day uh, and Him say, "Wow, you sure did a great job of keeping all all the laws." Enter enter into Enter into heaven, you know, out there somewhere in the cosmos. If we work to earn righteousness, then we get the payout for what we work for. Let me say that again. If you work, if you work for righteousness, then you're going to get the exact wage that you work for. We get exactly what we've earned and no more. The problem is this. Mankind has tried and tried and tried for generations, and he's failed every time 
to work hard enough to get the wage of righteousness that will pay him eternal life. If he could have met, Jesus could have never, didn't need to come. Jesus came to give us life. He came to make an exchange. For example, if you work at McDonald's, I don't care how good of an employee you are. If you work at McDonald's, nothing wrong with McDonald's, honest, honest job. But if you work at McDonald's, you may earn enough money to buy a Ford. But if you work at McDonald's, I don't care how conscientious, how hard you work, you will never buy a Lamborghini. You cannot possibly earn enough at McDonald's to earn a Lamborghini. Now, if you try to work for righteousness, you might get a wage of, of some enjoyment in life. And I, I told you, working for righteousness, if you don't kill somebody, there's a reward to that. If you don't steal, there's a reward to that, right? You don't go to jail. You can live a, a normal life. There's a way. But you can never work for righteousness to the level that you can get a paycheck that will give you eternal life, right? You, you might earn enough for a Ford. You're, ne you're never going to see a Lamborghini parked at Wendy's or McDonald's because nobody working there can afford that. They, they, they did not earn enough wage. And it's the same with us. You'll never see somebody that is trying to work for their righteousness, work their way to heaven, ever be able to attain it. it there, there's no way that you can earn that much of a wage. Now, there's a better way. There's a better way. And the better way is this. If we stop working for righteousness. Now, here I'm going to start making this a little bit crystal clear. I kind of work through some stuff like you can work for righteousness. You'll get a particular wage for it. You can enjoy life to a degree, but you will never be able to work for righteousness enough to get a wage that will pay eternal life. So there's a better way. We, we kind of hit on it in 2 Corinthians 5.21 when Jesus made an exchange, took our sin, gave us his righteousness, took our death and gave us his life. Okay, that's exactly what, what happened in that exchange. So there's a better way. If we stop working for righteousness, instead, we trust God. Abraham believed God, and that was accounted to him. That was direct deposited to him for righteousness. What is believing God? Believing God is just an effortless response to revelation. It's eating from the tree of life. When the Father speaks to you something, and now, oh, I see that. It's crystal clear. Then you respond to it. Well, sometimes that may that response to what he says may be a little bit contradictory to what seems right or what feels right or what is logical. If you go with what feels right, what is logical, what you're in effect saying is I'm trying to earn, I'm trying to merit, I'm trying to be good enough to get something that would be a positive paycheck. He says, don't, don't work it that way. He said, I want you to learn to trust in me and to believe in me. There is, a, there is a credit placed on your account. Listen to me carefully. There's a credit placed on your account without working for it. And not as a payment of wages. It's a gift. So this thing of, of righteousness that gives us eternal life is a gift. It is not a wage that we can earn. It's a bonus. It's a big add-on. Man, I'm telling you, it, it doesn't come by merit. It comes by by gifting, not by the sweat of our brow, not by the labor that we try to put out. Romans chapter 4, verse 3. Hope you're getting something out of this because I'm going to break it through in just a minute for you. We're going to pull this into what, that, what this is all about, what this righteousness is all about. 
And we have way underestimated, way undervalued the righteousness that was given to us in exchange for our sin. Or in exchange for our death, we were given life. Romans chapter 4, verse 3. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God. He responded to the word that God spoke to him, right? He believed God, and that was counted to him for righteousness. There wasn't anything, Adam, there wasn't anything Abraham could do to earn the righteousness that was necessary for him to fulfill the plan that God had for him. He trusted God, who against hope believed in hope. You can, re, you can receive enough for eternal life that knows no death, if you can understand the impartation of the righteousness that has been gifted to you apart from your works, apart from your labor. We can never earn enough. You, can, you might earn enough for the Ford. You'll never earn enough for the, the Lamborghini. You might have a little bit better life today by your righteous acts, get some favor of men, but you'll never be able to perform right standing or righteousness enough by your choosing good and evil and right and wrong, eating from that tree, you'll never, you'll never be able to conquer it enough that you can get the results that would come from eating from the tree of life, which is righteousness. Now, this is going to shock your world. This is going to shock your world, but I want you to listen to Jesus for just a minute. John chapter 11. Let's see how this kind of plays out here. John chapter 11, verse 25. This is, this is strong stuff. I, I, this is the story of Lazarus. I have taught this, this story so many times over the years, but it was just recently, I, I got my bell rung here, and I have pondered and pondered and meditated on this, and I'm telling you, it's getting strong. I, I, in verses 25 and 26, in Jesus' response to the sisters, in verse 25 and 26, he makes a startling revelation makes a startling revelation. Jesus said, and this is about the impartation of righteousness and the accepting of, of the gift. Jesus says in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. See, that's eternal life. Jesus said, whosoever believes in me, though he may die, he may die. Didn't say he had to die. Said you may die, he shall live. Now watch what he says in verse 26. And whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? <clears throat> she, didn't ask, she didn't ask in verse 25, do you believe this? Because that was the accepted norm. It still is the accepted norm that we believe in him, we die, and then we get eternal life. Isn't that exactly what, what she's saying? There's two groups of people Jesus is highlighting here. Two groups. Which one do you want to be in? Do you want to be in verse 25? That believe in him and you die and then you have eternal life. Or do you want to be in the group in verse 26 that lives and believes in him and never dies? It, 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 this, this is the God. We're getting down to what the gospel is. People that believe get a credit of righteousness and they never die. Now, there's only one distinction between verse 25 and verse 26. Verse 25, those that believe in him die and have life. Those that live, those that live and believe in him will never die. Now, in verse 
verse 25, everyone lives and dies in group one because heaven is their hope. And they've accepted the process that death is the entryway into eternal life. That has what religion has taught, evangelical church stands for. Everybody's going to die, and then once you die, uh, you go to heaven. And then eternal life starts there. And that's that's pretty much the accepted norm. That's, that's pretty much what all of us have been led to believe. But let me read that 26th verse again, because this, when I read this, I go, oh my gosh. Jesus is talking about two specific scenarios here. In verse 26, he says, whosoever lives, whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. But few people have ever believed it. I'm, I'm talking to you here at the Digital Cathedral this morning, and y'all are probably farther down the road than 99% of those people that are sitting in church this morning hearing the same three-point message with a different title you're further down the road in your spiritual understanding, your spiritual depth than they are, and yet very few of us have ever grabbed onto the gospel, part of the gospel that says, if you live and believe in me, you'll never die. Now you can believe in me and you'll die and then you'll have eternal life. So verse 25 is eternal life. Verse 26 is immortality. You do not die. Does that mean you never transition? I'll tell you what immortality means to me. I, I frankly am not going to live be five, six hundred years old. Don't care to. But immortality to me means I don't have to suffer sickness and disease. I can live until I am satisfied with my life, until I can look at my life and say I have completed my task, I've run my race, I've finished the course. That's, what, that's where Paul was. That's, that's where Paul was. He said, I finished the course. I'm ready to be, I'm ready to hook them. I'm ready to, I'm ready to transition. So it wasn't death. It was a transition. It was, it, it wasn't death. He didn't, he didn't go through. See, death has fear attached to it. Fear has kept death. The fear of death has kept people in bondage all of their life, all of their life. And Jesus said, there's a way that's better than that. He said, and it's part of the gospel. It's the good news. You you say it is part of the gospel. I never heard this part of the gospel. Let me read it to you. 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. And let me, let me read verses 8, 9, and 10. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 8. This has never been attached. Immortality has never been attached to the gospel. Because it's never been attached to the gospel, we couldn't embrace it. We couldn't believe it. We couldn't speak a creative word. It No... Even this morning, I will almost assure you a lot of you are sitting here going, what in the world? We're, we're talking about something that's part of the gospel, part of what belongs to us because of the finished work of the cross. Jesus defeated death for us on our behalf. Watch what it says here. This is Paul speaking to Timothy. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor me as prisoner, but share me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Watch, verse 9 who has saved us, past tense, and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, that saved, that sozo, making whole, uh, bringing life to us, was not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, listen, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. That's an objective truth. That's objective truth right there. That is a done deal. That is, that is what has happened. 
not according to our works. He saved us, made us whole, made us right, made us, you know, righteous, filled with life, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, watch, who has abolished death. Do you really believe that? Can we really believe this morning that he has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel? Though the gospel should be shining a light on life and immortality. The word immortality there means indestructible, uh, uncorruptible, not subject to deterioration, lacking the capacity to decay, that's how we should be living. We shouldn't be decaying. We shouldn't be uh, decrepit, bent over, uh, hanging on to life by a thread. He gave us something better than that. To me, immortality is living until you're satisfied. You've completed the course and you're not, and you're not suffering. You're not dying of a, of a disease. We've ha we have just accepted the fact of verse 25, John chapter 11, that we live, we die, and then we enter into life. Verse 26, we have never considered the fact that when we live and believe in him, we would never die. And because we've never really accepted it or looked at it, we've never considered it, especially because it's never been attached to the gospel. And Paul makes it as, cl as clear, as plain as can be, that this is part of the gospel package. This is he, Jesus abolished death. When he died on the cross, he abolished death. If he abolished death, why does it have such a hold on us today? I'd be the first one to tell you it's a mystery. There are things about it I don't understand. I, don't, I, 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 haven't, I can't tell you this morning how, how we can make that move, but I can tell you one thing. Just because I don't understand it does not detract from the fact that it is truth. It is truth. And there has to be a generation that becomes the resurrection generation that sees that the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. Sin has no more dominion. Death has no more dominion over us. And we have to begin to see it like that. Immortality, Strong's number 861, says incorruptible, not subject to decay, cannot deteriorate. Now maybe we catch a little bit of what 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23 is all about. Have you read that verse before? Let me read it for you. Now we're going to catch a little bit. See, all this just keeps unwinding like an onion. Take it down layer and you see a little bit more. Verse 23, 1 Peter chapter 1. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible. You know what that incorruptible seed is? It's immortal. Not subject to decay. We were born again. When you came out of the tomb with Jesus, when you were born from death to life in him, he embraced you. He took you to the cross with him, took you to the tomb, walked you out of the tomb. You've ascended with him. You set, you're, seating, you're seated at the right hand of the Father today. That's your lens. That's your perspective. And from that perspective, death has no, no sway over us. It does, not, it does not dictate the way that we live, although it has. You were brought from death, let me just be plain. You were brought from death to immortality through the resurrection. The new creation after the order of Jesus is eternal. Death has no power over it. Death had no power over Jesus. Are you as he is in this present world? 
You know what Jesus said? I, I haven't heard anybody ever, ever say this. They say they're like Jesus. They say they're uh, a brother with Jesus, right? I've heard all kind of people proclaim all kind of things about themselves. I've never heard anybody say this. Verse 17, John chapter 10, Therefore my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down of myself and I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. That command you have received from the Father. Dare we begin to say, out our mouth, I lay my life down. No one, nobody takes it from me. No disease takes it from me. The spirit that lives in me raised Jesus from the dead. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it back up again. Look at me. Death in any form is not our friend. Death in any form is not a friend of the Father. Jesus defeated death. Jesus had the power to lay his life down and to pick it back up again. Paul caught it. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. And verse 10. Romans chapter 6. I'm going to get there. And verse 10. For the death that he died. Watch. Listen. The death that he died. He died to sin or to death. He died to the wage of that, of the wage of sin, which is death, once for all. You are in that all that he died to sin once. He did that for all, it says. But that the life he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. You are dead to death. Can you grab that one? You are dead to death. It does not have dominion over you. Sin has no dominion over us. When you see the word sin, think death. When you see the word righteousness, think life. You cannot earn enough righteousness to get eternal life. You, you can earn enough righteousness. It'll pay a wage. You don't, you don't lie. You don't kill. You don't commit adultery. There's a wage that it pays. Life is better. Life is smoother, but it's not going to get you eternal life. Man cannot earn enough. The wage cannot be enough from self-righteousness to earn eternal life. Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So he says you got to begin to reckon this. you got to begin to acknowledge this. You have to begin to say it for yourself, right? Jesus defeated death on my behalf and has given me, imputed to me, righteousness. You know, death, death, let me say it again. Death is not your friend. You know why, you know why I know it's an enemy? Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 26, Paul says, the last enemy to be defeated or put under our feet is death. Objectively, Jesus accomplished that on the cross. He annihilated death. He annihilated, annihilated everything that was concerned with death, that was attributed to death. That's an objective fact. Now, subjectively, it has to be walked out by us. And we're finally into a generation that is at least beginning to say, I see it. I see it as part of the gospel. 
I haven't lived up to that level yet. Nobody has. There have been a few. There have been a few. I've read the testimony of some that have decided that their life is fulfilled, they're happy, and they just go to sleep. They just go to sleep. And that's the way you should transition. That's a, that's a transfiguration. That is not a death. That is a moving from one dimension to another dimension as easily as you walk from the living room into the kitchen. No disease, no sickness. And I, I wouldn't be sorrowful at someone that transitioned that way. Call me on the phone and say, hey, Keithley, uh, I'm done. Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm going on uh, out of here tomorrow. I'm going to exchange this flesh body for a glorified one. Um, we'll be seeing you soon. Right? I wouldn't feel bad about that. What makes me feel bad is when I see people suffer and go through agony. You know, die, to get to death for most people is the real issue. We're afraid of what we have to face to get there. And by Jesus imputing his life and his righteousness to us, what he's saying to us, you don't have to go through that. See, the best we've ever hoped for is healing. The best we've ever hoped for is healing. Problem with healing is, you get somebody healed, they're still going to get sick at some point because that's what they believe. They have to die, John eleven twenty five, 25, and then they get eternal life. So they're going to have to go through that process. All you've done is waylaid it. Is there something better? Romans is a terrific book on this. You really want to delve into it. Sin equals death. Righteousness equals life. Read through the book of Romans. And I, I, I'm going to give you just a couple of uh, shots out of Romans this morning to tell you exactly what I'm talking about. A little bit of time I got left. I got about eight, nine minutes. I want to give you some verses out of Scripture that highlight the power of this righteousness out. First one is I'm going to give you is Romans chapter 1, verse 17. I want to read it out of the Passion Translation. This gospel unveils a continual revelation of God's righteousness. All right, when you see righteousness, what do you see? You see life. The gospel, let me insert that in there. The gospel unveils a continual revelation of God's life. A perfect righteousness, a perfect life given to us when we believe. Believing is an effortless response to revelation. Believing is not a work. The church has made belief a work. You have to do. You cannot force yourself to believe diddly squat. You... When you see it, though, you'll believe it. When the revelation strikes, when the light turns on, you'll see what has been revealed. Let me just, I, I, you know, I can't get through these verses, but, but preach a little bit. A perfect righteousness gives us when we believe. And it moves from us from receiving life through faith to the power of living by faith. Now, see, when you, when you see, receive life through faith, that's, that's when you're going to die and live again. But when you have the power of living by faith, that's a life that's not good. It's going to live and believe. Believing is just receiving life through faith. I believe that. But when you live and believe, that's when you get the life by faith. That is what Scripture means when it says we are right with God through life-giving Faith. You know what faith is? Faith is simply a confidence in the one that promised it, his ability to deliver it. That's what faith actually is. So that, that, that's a good verse. Romans chapter 1 and verse 17. Let me uh, 
I want to give you a couple more. Can I do that? We got a little bit of time here. Romans chapter 5 and verse 17. Romans chapter 5, verse 17. So when you see righteousness, what do you see? You see life. When you see sin, what do you see? You see death. So what, what we find as we un, unravel scripture is that righteousness always prevails over sin. Righteousness is kryptonite to sin. Sin has no power against righteousness. That's why you have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Your perception, your identity of life is in Christ. You're seated with Christ, in Christ, in the heavenlies. Colossians 3.3 says that you died. You died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. There again, the life, the righteousness, has the control over the death. You died. You're already dead. You died with him. One died for all. All died. Right? Now watch this. Romans chapter 5 and verse 17. I, I did, I did, I, I don't know how long. This is before I had any revelation of grace. But this verse really captivated me. Must have been about 1997, 96, 97. And I did a whole long, whole long series on this. I, I, don't, I didn't see then what I see now, but it says this. For if by one man's offense death reigned by the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace, watch, and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Christ Jesus. So there again, we see that this gift of righteousness nukes, nukes the death that reigned by one. The death that reigned by one does not have control of your life. What has control of your life is this righteousness that is a gift that enables you and empowers you to live in life. And the word life there is not just natural life. It, it's talking about eternal life. And the death is what you're going to face as the consequence if you just think Adam did this and we all die and then we, we're saved we go on to heaven. No, that's, that's minor league. We need to get to the major leagues, right? We've lived, we've lived in the minor leagues and played in the minor leagues long enough. We need to transition to the major leagues. Again, Romans shows us that the gift of righteousness produces Zoe. That's what I want you to see out of Romans 5.17. The gift of righteousness helps us to reign in life by one Christ Jesus. Then Romans chapter 5, verse 21. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to life, eternal life, by Jesus Christ our Lord. So he, get, he draws a distinction. He says, here's what sin did. It brought death. Right? Missing the mark. Don't think, when you, no longer when you think sin, think about uh, breaking some law. What sin is, it's missing the mark. The mark, the target, is the tree of life. And whenever we live from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we have missed the bullseye, which is a sin. So all have sinned. All have missed the bullseye. Why? Because they've lived to, by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. With, if, if death entered through the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then it's going to exit when there's no longer people eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil who are only eating on the tree of life. Now, I'm going to tell you, this, this might take some transitioning. It might take a generation or two. I don't know. But I'm telling you, this is what's going to put death under. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, which is a result of eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So at some point when there are people that only eat from the tree of life and that pervades through our culture, you're going to see a world that is totally turned upside down. 
Romans chapter 5, verse 21, that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness, and that righteousness takes you to eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. So when you read Romans, if you really want to make a good study, just go through Romans and see sin and equate it to death, righteousness to life, and see how righteousness always over, overpowers sin itself. Um, when you read Romans, it's hard to miss, yet we have because we always come back to that first group in John chapter 11. We still come back to the place we have to die and then we get eternal life. And that's not what Jesus said. We've blown, we haven't even considered group two. Live and believe in him, never die. We've, we have never even considered, I've never heard anybody even bring it up. Now it becomes clear why we cannot earn enough righteousness to get the wage of immortality. But man sure tries, doesn't he? Man tries to be righteous on his own by being good, keeping the rules, keeping the laws. And it's for sure that we can't work hard enough to earn eternal life. It has to be imputed. It has to be given to us. Sin is what subjects our body to sickness, disease, and death. And sin is missing the mark. It's not, it's not you smoking a cigarette. That's not healthy, just naturally. But that's, that's not, gonna, that's not what, what Scripture means when it talks about sin. It's not going to the movies. It's not dancing. All that stuff we were taught that if you're a Christian, you don't do that. That's a sin. That's not a sin. The sin is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In fact, those that told you not to dance were doing we're eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil of what seemed right to them and what seemed wrong. God never told them that. <clears throat> he never whispered that to them. <clears throat> they came up with that on their own. All right, I got one more scripture and I got I to gotta hook them. Hope you're getting something out of this. I am. Made myself happy this morning. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says this. Well, let me read it so I, I want to get the exact wording. I, I ponder and meditate this stuff. And what happens is I get to rewording it myself as I roll it over and over and over. I say, well, listen, there's therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. That condemnation comes as a result of trying to be righteous, choosing the right tree, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. When you walk according to the flesh, you're walking according to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Your senses uh, sense things, you see, you hear, you feel, and you make a decision. You make a course of action based on the flesh. But there's no condemnation when you walk according to the spirit or eat from the tree of life. Now watch this. This is, this is a way to end. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, the spirit of life, the spirit of life, eternal life, no death, no, po no possibility of it dying, has made me free from the law of sin and the wage it pays, which is death. So, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So, if we're free from it, why are we still, why are we still living in it? Why are we still suffering the consequences of it? Um, if we've been delivered from it, we shouldn't die. Why do we? Could it be that we're still trying to work on some level for our righteousness? 
Could it be on some level that we haven't acknowledged the imputing of righteousness given to us by Jesus? And we're still on some level trying to think we need to earn it. Let's take a step this morning. Let's take a step. Let's fully agree that Jesus put a stop payment on our sin check, right? He put a stop payment on that check with what it pays, which is death. No more wage of death. Sin is no longer allowed to send death our way. Missing the mark. We're not going to eat from the tree. We're not going to give any entrance into it. Let's see Jesus handing all of us without working, without sweating, without striving, a life check that will impute to us righteousness and the wage of eternal life. Let's be the generation that takes this immortality ball and moves it down the field. Let's be sons and daughters that take a giant step in taking this last enemy that has plagued humanity, which is death, this last enemy, and put it under our feet. Now remember, in kingdom truth, and I gotta, I gotta stop preaching here. Remember in kingdom truth, there are always three stages. First the seed, then the blade, then the full corn in the ear. That correlates to us is first you have to embrace it. There has to be a people that embrace what I'm talking about this morning. That don't just shake their head and roll their eyes and say that's mission impossible. There have to be a people that embrace it as part of the gospel of what Paul told Timothy. That immortality is part of the gospel. And once you embrace it, when there's a people that embrace it, you can begin to believe it. And once you believe it, out of the abundance of your heart, see, you're, you're believers down here. And this is where it grows. Once you, once you embrace it, you begin to get revelation, you believe it. And when you believe it, you can speak a creative word out of your mouth and you can begin to say, I, I choose not to die. I choose not to be sick. I choose. And there's a force, there's a power of the Spirit behind it. This is not a uh, lifeless confession. Just because you confess it doesn't make it so. It has to be empowered by the belief and the embracing. Amen? All right, I think that's enough for today. We've gone 53 minutes. That's longer than I'd like to go, but hey, this is a big subject and it's an important subject and I want it to get down into your spirit to where we at least begin to acknowledge immortality as part of the gospel. All right, God bless you. We'll see you Wednesday night. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your support. This is January. If you'd like to do something on a monthly basis for this year, that would be great. It really would help us out. Uh, and I appreciate those of you that do give regularly and even from time to time. That's a great help to us. So we'll see you Wednesday night, Secret Place, back next week, Digital Cathedral, 10 a.m. Central, and we'll take this down another level. God bless. See you then.